Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food. And eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Welcome to At The Source. I'm really excited to welcome Kate Young, fellow Antipodean and award-winning food writer and cook to the podcast today. The Guild of Food Writers awarded Kate with Blogger of the Year in 2017, and with good reason. Her website and book, The Little Library Cafe, are quite unusual because they're inspired by literature and many of the stories she loved to read as a child. I loved reading Ina Blyton and Harry Potter when I was younger, and the way that Kate brings the recipes and food featured on those pages alive is truly fascinating. She's in Bristol today as part of Food Connections, and has just finished an awesome demo, which we both really enjoyed the uh, results of. Thanks for fitting us in. Thank you. I feel like I should say something at this point as well, <laughs> as the non-Antipodean in the room. Yeah, just get the other accent in there. Yeah, a bit of Midlands there. <laughs> it, t- it turns out we actually grew up a few I mean, a couple away. of suburbs away from each other. Um, yeah. So. That's crazy. Yeah. It's mad, now, isn't now it? you're in Bristol. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, your honey cakes were delicious. Thank you. So they were kind of like a Winnie the Pooh-inspired honey. Yeah. Little honey sponges with a really nice cream cheese frosting. Thank you. But too small. Tiny, <laughs> I mean, they were tiny because I had 45 minutes to do a demo and if they would never have baked if I did bigger ones, but they were too small. But they, I bake with honey a lot. I really oh, like honey. And delicious. I think when we put the first book together, there were, I have a feeling there were like four sweet things based on honey and my publisher was like, this is silly. What are we doing? <laughs> And we had had to lose a couple. I don't know if that's what you like. And Alex doesn't really even like sweet food all that much. Well, thank you. I think (laughs) great praise. Thank you very much. Right. Shall we crack on with the the first question? Yeah. I think people are used to this one by now. So, (laughs) Kate, what is your first memory of food? Um, I, I have a really strange collection of memories where... I can never tell what is from photographs and what I actually remember and haven't recreated. My first very specific memory of food is my mum and my dad making me a rainbow birthday cake for what must have been my fourth birthday because they were not together by the time I was five, I think. So it must be my fourth birthday. And I remember that birthday party. I remember being down in the park and I remember this amazing, beautiful rainbow cake that they made that was beautifully decorated. And I know that there are other memories I have, but I can't I can't put them in time. Mm. I can't sort of pinpoint them. Mm. But I specifically remember that that was my fourth birthday, and I remember that beautiful cake. Was it a rainbow cake, as in the the pattern on the top, or when you slice it open and it's the layers? No, so it was a sponge cake inside, but it was literally like a semicircle of a cake oh. with, that landed in two clouds. Like it was like a, a constructed That's rainbow. Cool. It was beautiful. Proper, like, <laughs> proper like women's weekly. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Cake. Which yeah. and neither of my parents are. My parents are good cooks, but they're not enthusiastic bakers. Like we didn't eat a lot of sweets growing up. They both cook really well, but but aren't that interested in cakes. And certainly, I don't. I don't think they'll mind me saying I don't remember them ever decorating other cakes. That's certainly not a thing that happened a lot in my childhood. So that cake really sticks out in my head. Oh, that's even nicer the fact yeah. that they're Isn't not it? Really yeah, that they got really involved with it. Had you um requested it? Was it something I don't were know. you into rainbows at four years old, you know, when people are obsessed with something. Yeah, I wonder child. whether that was yeah. a thing. I I don't know. I hope I hope it was like uh, yeah, I don't remember what I was into at that point, except that I was into books and I was into 
like football <laughs> and running around and um but mostly actually books so we're talking about books mm. can you remember the first time that you were reading a book and you thought oh this food sounds amazing I remember we listened to it's interesting that we did the honey cakes this morning I listened to Winnie the Pooh on audiobook when I was a kid um read by Alan Bennett and when I read it now, if I go back and read lines, I can hear his voice mm. reading it because we had it on tape and we listened to it over and over and over. And I remember being on a drive from Brisbane to Canberra, which is like a 15 hour drive. <laughs> yeah. It's long. Um, and I don't think we stopped. I think we left super early in the morning and like stopped for lunch, but we didn't stay anywhere overnight. We literally did the whole thing in a, a on the trot. And Lucy and I were in the back of the car. My sister and I were in the back of the car. And I remember wanting honey, like desperately going, oh my God. And and I think it was a coupling of, I'd been in the back of a car for a long time, but also the description of that in Winnie the Pooh is just perfect. So you were reading books before you could even read, really? Oh, I, I must have been seven. Right. Like I okay. could definitely read by that point. I, I, I have always read though. Mm. And we went to sleep listening to audiobooks a lot. I thought audiobooks was sort of a... Quite a modern thing, yeah. We had loads of audiobooks on tapes. Um, and like we would listen to the same ones over and over. My dad, when my parents split up, my dad recorded himself reading all of our favorites and gave it to us on tape so oh, that like wow. if we were at mum's house and we wanted to listen to him read us a story, we could put it in. That's really lovely. It's gorgeous. Eh? Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. He had a microphone and recorded it at home. That is really great. So did he sort of instill that love of books in you? They both did. My parents are, are big big readers and and big cooks so it, it sort of seems a natural progression that this is what I've ended up doing although it mm. wasn't a naturally straight line to get here um but so, no never is but certainly that was a thing that was in our house that was always there were always books in our house and there was always like someone in the kitchen doing something both houses that was very much what we did sounds like a nice childhood it was it was lovely this leads quite nicely into, we were hoping that you might be able to share with us your favourite food passage from a book. Yeah, so this is really difficult because there are so many good ones. Mm. Um, and I picked something from Cold Comfort Farm because I really love Cold Comfort Farm. I think it's really funny and really great. And also it's it's set on Midsummer, so it's set like today. Very good. Um, which is, or this week, which I think is kind of the perfect thing to read then. So this is the wedding that happens at the end of Cold Comfort Farm. Flora had arranged two kinds of food for the two kinds of guests she was expecting. For the Stark Adders and such of the local horny peasantry as would attend, there were syllabobs, ice pudding, caviar sandwiches, crab patties, trifle and champagne. For the county, there was cider, cold cured ham, cheese, homemade bread and salads made from local fruit. The table from which the county were to feed was rich with cottage flowers. There you go. It's beautiful. <laughs> it um, is really beautiful. And then there's a line further down that says, the air smelled sweet of cherry pie and fruit salad. That's such a visual It's such an amazing like yeah. English summer scene. It is. And I think I prefer the second lot of food. The Me too. Cider and the yeah, cider, the cider yeah. and the ham and the, and the cheese yeah. and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I definitely would be on that table. Me too. <laughs> Swilling. I'm the county. I'm the county. <laughs> yeah. And you're definitely any buffet, let's be honest. Um, I left a job once where in the leaving speech that my boss gave to me, you know, when everyone has to gather around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he said, 
it sounded a bit like a eulogy actually but he he said oh um Alex we will always remember you as the first of foot buffets <laughs> I mean that is quite a that's a Twitter bio if I've ever heard one I, it has been my Twitter <laughs> bio. I, I think honestly it'll be on your gravestone yeah first up at buffets <laughs> not that I want you to die anytime soon no but anyway. it's perfect so at the demo this morning you talked through how you ended up where you are now yeah so you started off you moved over here for 10 years ago yeah just over 10 years now at what point did you start blogging after that uh about five years ago Mm -hmm. so I started blogging March 2014 so just over five years and the reason you did that was I was lonely and homesick and a bit sad and wanted to do something that was for me but also I wanted to get on Bake Off and so I spent a year trying to bake pastry and bake cakes and give myself a thing to do every week so that when I did my application the next February I'd have this extraordinary list of things that I'd cooked. You know what? I did have an extraordinary list of things that I cooked. I did not get onto Bake Off. It's a crime. It is a crime. crime. (laughs) I would have been dreadful. I would have hated it. Yeah, because the panic would have just, I mean, I would have not enjoyed it, I don't think. I, I have so much respect for people who do it because I think I would just have been massively stressed. All right, then. Be the yeah. one crying in the corner yeah, of the Yeah, exactly that. Just, like, giving up and walking out of the gazebo and going, it's fine, I'm not going to go back. <laughs> I kind of think you've ended up in a good spot. Anyway, oh, yeah. So no, I'm really, like, I, I, I don't for a minute regret that that's why, yeah. it, that's why I started it. Oh, but no, I, I just thought about it the other day that I went, like, oh, that's why I was doing this. How weird. Like, I did it as a creative project, so I'd have a thing to do. But I never thought I'd enjoy the writing as much as I ended up doing it was a, a means to an end like if you're if you're posting up a recipe you kind of need to introduce it and my my introductions got longer and longer and longer as the as the blog went on mm. if you go back to the first one I think it's like four lines and now it's four big chunky paragraphs and how did the blog then turn into a book so I I vowed that I was going to do a recipe a week and I kept that up, which doing a full-time job was my, like, it, it was sometimes tricky and sometimes mm. really easy. So occasionally I'd be really ahead and I'd have like three in the bank and I'd leave them in there and then I could just post them on a Friday. And then sometimes when work was really busy, I would be up at two o'clock in the morning on a Thursday night going, why am I even doing this? Nobody is reading it and nobody cares. That's commitment. Yeah. But it was, yeah. I, it was as soon as I found a reason not to do it one week, I would just stop doing it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Re- I reasoned that like it was net work was never completely relaxed or easy. I was a theatre producer. So some weeks when we were doing a show, it was really full on, yeah. but I just had to be organized and I had to do it. And I was doing it just for fun. I was doing it definitely not with an aim for it to become a book. Um, but it got picked up by the Guardian because one of, I sent one of my photos in for one of their sort of community pages and one of the one of the books editors went, you can't use that image. We found it from this website. But if this is your website, get in touch with us. And, and it, it was my website. Oh, that's so, incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's it was one incredible. of my. It was one of my pictures, and I was like, yeah, but this. Well, I cooked this thing, and I took this photo, and she was like, it's a great blog. We want to feature it. Amazing. And twenty four hours later, they'd done like a photo gallery on the Guardian Books page, and it you know it it sort of kick-started a bunch of emails coming in about have you thought of turning this into a book mm. and I met lots of people 
where it wasn't quite right. And then I met my current agent who was a dream and we talked about it and she's sort of my age and we had lots of the same food memories and lots of the same book memories and um, she saw it in the way that I did. Mm. I, I, I had to go through a lot of conversations about, I mean, this was 2016, 15, 2015. So there were a lot of conversations like, mm. well, we'd like the idea, but we'd like to incorporate some elements of wellness into oh, this. No. And so I, I'd like, she was the first person I met who was like, well, that, that sounds awful. <laughs> it sounds like not at all what your book is about. Can you replace the honey with Kale. Yeah, like I was like, come on. Kale cakes. Oh. Winnie the Pooh definitely wouldn't yeah. eat those. No, no. Um, it's just not the ethos of it. it you no. know, it's, yeah. I love kale. I'm a big fan of kale, just not to the exclusion of all other food. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important too that it's what you're doing is you're bringing to life pages of a book and yeah. turning it to something tangible. Absolutely. And, and also, like, in, in not wanting to get sort of romantic about it or or sort of a bit wanky about it but the element of wellness that is in the book is mental wellness Mm -hmm. and is is doing something that is good for you which is just as important yeah which is reading and which is eating a nice meal and talking about that element of kind of emotional well-being um one of your early columns was about harry potter's favorite dessert which was the treacle tart (laughs) yeah that was my first one that was your first one. Yeah. I didn't realise that. Okay, yeah. so, um, you know, you said in that column that that helped you with your homesickness. Yeah, that's why I started it. And funnily enough, that was what Harry ate on his first night. The first night in Hogwarts. Yeah. Exactly that. And I love this because food is such an important thing for yeah. feeling good. When you're sad, you eat Definitely. something yummy. When you're happy, well, certainly for me, I celebrate with food, I commiserate with food. Yeah. And, um... <laughs> and it also connects you back to a... You know, I'd never eaten a treacle tart. I'd never made one because I grew up in a place where they weren't really a thing. Yeah. Mm. And I had a big tin of treacle in the t- cupboard and thought that that would help. And there's no treacle in a treacle tart. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. Found that out yeah, the hard way. Right, exactly. So um, that first cooking experience of it was was strange and, and interesting. But I cooked it literally because I went, well, if it comforts Harry and yeah. is like his favourite thing, I want a connection back to that really comforting memory of reading Philosopher's Stone under my duvet mm. when I was 10. Yeah. And it's nice to bring those two things together. Yeah, because, absolutely. I mean, not all kids were major readers when they were growing up. No. But for those of us who were, you know, I, I'd like bundle myself up in a pillow for Me too, and yeah, absolutely. Read and, you know, mum, can I have some sliced apple? Because, you know, while you're eating, yeah. you're, in fort, you're mm-hmm. getting so excited about everything that's happening. And you know what? In an Ina Blyton book, when she talks about, you know, they had the tinned fruit and they mm. went down to the stream and, you know, diluted the juice left over in the tin and turned it into their drink, you just kind of go, oh, oh really that sounds like the best thing now. ever. Yeah. Or, or they have, like, sardines on ginger cake. Yeah. When they're having a midnight feast in Mallory Towers. Mm. And there's a moment where I'm like, sardine, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my brain sort of starts going, surely that's great. I'm not sure it is, but it does sound like something I should try. And you mentioned earlier today, and I had this exact same thing while reading Mallory Towers and the other ones, that, yeah, I wanted to go to boarding school. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> like, when, when they all, all of the first chapters of those books, my favourite ones were The Naughtiest Girl in School. Yeah. Which made me yeah. so uncomfortable because I couldn't cope with the fact that she just kept being naughty <laughs> I was such a goody two-shoes and I was like just don't make bad decisions don't do it <laughs> um but 
Yes, they were my favourites. And the first chapter of all of those books is all of these kids getting on the train with their big tuck boxes and then yeah. arriving at school. And all of these wooden boxes filled with cakes and toffees mm. and sweets and all sorts of things being like offloaded and taken to the storeroom in the kitchens in these schools. And I'm, that's the most extraordinary image. Mm. I love listening to you both, kind of both grew up in Brisbane, <laughs> really close close by to one another, which is just kind of strange, but this kind of quintessential English, like, image of what... Oh, yeah. Like, 1950s, beautiful English countryside, the Secret Seven, like, romping through fields of grass. It's it's really nice. But it's that, it's really and nice it's also, even. like, the 1908 Secret Garden and oh, the image oh, of, like, yes. Mary Lennox on the Yorkshire Moors with Dickon and with Colin, and it's also, like, you know, the Dorset countryside where... Marianne and Eleanor Dashwood live with their mum. Mm. Like, it's all of these elements of different stories that I read from Australia yeah. that formed that picture of England mm. that I have in my head, which is not that accurate, but also more accurate than I thought it was going to be. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Because part of my brain was like, well, surely it can't really be this idyllic. And then I came out and I now live in the English countryside and it's like, yeah, no, it's pretty great. <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing. I can corroborate that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, love I love this. So you just listed off a whole bunch of different books sorry yes no that's okay and you've written from tons of them yeah so how do you decide what you're going to do next so I I read a lot um I read probably 150 books a year something Amazing. like that because it has it has also become my job mm. um and in a way that I don't at all feel strange about or resent like how much reading I have to do for work um, I occasionally go through months where I read less and, and this month is one cause I've been moving house. So, you know, I've been listening on audiobook to more books than I've been physically sitting down mm. and reading, but generally I try and read a lot. Do and you read paper books or do you read? I read Kindle? all three. So I read Kindle, I read paper books and I read audiobooks, oh, listen okay. to audiobooks. And I've always got at least one of each on the go. Ah. So there's there's always like a whatever I need or feel like reading, I'm always into one or the other. Mm. Um, and and I, I read a lot because it's work. And so I fold down the corners of pages when I come to food or I highlight on my Kindle or I put a note on on my Audible or whatever it is. And then I go back and put them into a big spreadsheet. It's very unromantic. <laughs> and um, and, very organized. and yeah, like I, and the, the spreadsheet is is the plan for the next book and some of them will just stay in that spreadsheet and never go anywhere else and some of them become a recipe that I want to start trialing and start working on and some of them I go oh that's already a thing that I cook and it's kind of perfect and I, mm. I can tweak an existing recipe that I already have in my head for that um for that certain thing it's becoming harder though because there's so much repetition there are so many foods that stand in for a particular thing so the number of times you read about a roast chicken or you read about a certain like some french onion soup and bread or mm. you read about a certain type of cake it's or like scones with butter or crumpets or things that crop up over and over mm. and over again you're like that's a lovely sentence but i can't put that in the next book because mm. i've already done it yeah so it is becoming slightly harder because I just have this bulk of like ones that I've already done. Yeah. But generally, most of the books I really enjoy reading do include food because most of the books are set in real places. So mm. real, you know, real world. Um, they are uh, set 
often in people's houses and therefore around dinner tables or breakfast tables Mm. or those sort of things. My favourite kind of books are sort of big, sprawling family stories Mm. set over a couple of generations or including a couple of generations. So I love the Caslet Chronicles and I love Pachinko by Min Jin Lee and I love, like, there's there's a whole range of sort of family sagas that Mm. I would say is probably my favourite type of book. So how so you've you've got your spreadsheet, everything's mm. on there. Mm. So how then do you turn what could literally be a one line yeah. into a recipe? So it's it starts with I'm not the first thing to say is that I'm not a food historian and I know there are great food historians out there who would do this in a much better, more scientific way than me. But what I do is look at the historic context of either when that book was written or when it's set, if that is a a different thing. And so look at what access to recipe books or where that recipe might have come from or what ingredients were available or what equipment was available at that time. And think about what that dish would have looked like on those characters, on the table of those characters. Mm. And then kind of abandon it because... It needs to work in your kitchen in 2019 and therefore it can't be historically accurate or slavishly like, you know, going with what is there directly on the page if it doesn't work in a kitchen now. Mm. Or if we now have baking powder or something else that makes that thing an easier thing to make. Because ultimately they are recipes that people can lift from the pages yeah. of your book and cook and eat that's home. what I hope it's, it's, it's not book. exactly I really I, I didn't want to write a, histor- a historical cookbook I wanted to write something that has recipes from yes Anna Karenina and yes Sherlock Holmes and yes all of these things but also from like White Teeth and also from Americana and also from um Bridget Jones's Diary and like has modern stuff as well and I want them to work just as well as mm. the stuff from the 18th or 17th century um and for you to be able to to do it in your kitchen and so I I look at historical cookbooks I often find stuff online or I, I'll go and like look at Mrs Beaton if it's a you know Victorian era cook like a Victorian era novel or I might go and look you know something somewhat earlier um and then yeah just go from there and sometimes it takes 10 times of doing a recipe before it's something that feels right and feels like it's going to work and it's going to be consistent and sometimes it only takes a handful of trials before you're like no actually that's what I was aiming for and it it works um but you know there are also ones that I still haven't cracked yet and have been on the list since I was doing the first book and Mm. still aren't good enough and that might end up in the list some way someday eventually what are the are there any particular types of recipes or types of foods or time periods that are particularly hard to adapt or develop a recipe into? Um, Most of the difficult ones are the blog ones rather than the book ones because I made a distinction when I started doing the book that I didn't want to make any fictional food. Mm. So I didn't want to do food that doesn't exist in real life because I didn't want it to be a theme thing where it feels like a a sort of a a party celebration. You have to be having like a BFG themed party and then you can have, you know, Mm. whatever it is. But um, Frobscottle is what I was thinking in my head. But um, so I wanted to do real stuff. 
So the challenge, lots of the challenging ones early on were the blog ones where I'm trying to make a Whipple Scrumptious Fudge Melee Delight and trying to imagine what that might be and trying to temper chocolate and then make um, whipped marshmallow and like yeah. salted caramel fudge and all of these mm. things and work it out in a way that makes that like makes sense with the book and honours the book and also is something you really want to eat. Mm. So the book ones, the ones that have ended up in the cookbook, I have... I, there's no one that was particularly difficult. It was like it was a whole um, sort of. I mean, Victorian is slightly trickier because they just have different ingredients. So making something that that makes sense in that context mm. is is slightly more complex. You just might have cooked it in a different way, and and mm. I wanted to make it make sense but still be delicious. Mm. There's lots of Victorian food that is delicious, though. So mm. you know. And lots of recipes that still do stand as they would have then. And Absolutely. One ways, you know, there's lots of pastry that's still made in the same way now as it was then. And so it makes total sense. Your second book's coming out later this year. It is. It went away to print last week. So I will never read it again because it's not worth figuring out that you spelt something wrong or left a comma out. I hope I haven't. But, you know, it, it just doesn't doesn't pay to go back and read your own work once it's in I, a printer. I struggle with that for, you know collateral at work yeah or you know even having written a blog post or something oh, God, like that yeah. i can't imagine what it's like to have that in a book and then it's printed it's and just it's, it's genuinely not worth reading again <laughs> i've just decided i never i've never read the first one again i cook from the first one but i don't read the introductions again because i'm like i will think of a better way to frame that yeah. sentence and i don't want to be judging it that's that's fair enough. I wonder mm. if a lot of authors are like that. I don't know. I, I, I hope so. I hope that's not an uncommon thing. But certainly I'm like, I'm definitely the biggest critic of my own writing. Um, and and I've got a wonderful editor. So I know it's been through five edits and mm. been through loads of people and everybody's seen it. And it's, and it's been read by people and people can use it and all of these things. But I still deal with that moment of going, oh my God, it's obviously not the right way to say that sentence if we spot a typo which don't i'm tell sure me. we won't don't tell me. we will not tell you so actually you know what it is actually always useful to tell me because it oh. could be changed for the second edition so it, it's fine if you find your typo <laughs> my dad my dad last week was reading it and he was like there's a grammatical error here and i was like what what it's gone to print it's gone to print and dad was like yeah here and he read out the sentence i was like no dad that's right and he was like oh Oh, yeah, no, 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 okay, that makes sense. Oh, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Even I was holding my breath. I know. Like, oh. Ridiculous. You've used, you've, you've used the wrong type of there. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, oh, that would my be God, awful. what a nightmare. Um, yeah. Then and then, yeah, oh. no, not 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 ideal. Um, but, no, it was a, a particular turn of phrase that didn't make sense until you kind of read it again. He was like, oh, yeah, no, I get what you mean. Phew. It so was also only on the thank yous page, which if there's going to be a mistake, the thank yous page <laughs> is the place for it to be. So tell us about this second book. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's called The Little Library Year, and it is about seasonal eating and seasonal reading. So not just the ingredients that are good at a particular time of year, but the books that you might want to read when the, you know, the mood is right to read them. I, um, I tell a story in the beginning about the first time I read Anna Karenina or tried to read Anna Karenina. I was sitting on the tube in London on the way to work, and I, it was midsummer. And I was commuting and it was miserable. And I would read like three pages a day and be like, God, this book is long. <laughs> and just never got into it and eventually abandoned it. When I guess it's one of those things that I'll just won't read. It's not mm. going to be my thing. And then I got six months down the line and it was 
middle of winter. It was one of those really cold winters in London. It was one where it really snowed. Mm. And I read it in the bath one night and just flew through loads of it. And for the next two weeks would like go massively into it on my commute to work in exactly the same physical situation as I'd been six months before read low read it really quickly missed my stop a bunch of times because I was so into it and um and just loved it and I think that there is a real time for books there's a reason that publishers bring out sort of light shorter books just before summer because you might take them on a beach and Mm. there's a reason that you know that that certain things are sold at certain times of the year and I think that I wanted to write about all of the the great books that make sense in a season mm. and so the food in it is a mood or a uh, an event or an ingredient or a specific recipe from those books so there's a section on tuck boxes and um with a little quote from um, the naughtiest girl in the school and there's sort of then four recipes for things that make sense some of which are in that box and some from other books mm-hmm. and then there's uh there's a section on apples in uh autumn mm. uh, that starts with a quote from cider with rosie uh which is set right near where i live now um there's a section on scandinavian christmas eve that starts with a quote from pippi longstocking where she makes loads of crisp ginger biscuits called peppercocker uh and there's a you know a section on eating alone in january once you don't want to see anyone after christmas <laughs> you know it's it's basically a, a whole collection of moods and events and attitudes and and food and books for various points in the year sounds great i like that i really unsmugly think it's a better book i'm i think it's i think the recipes are even better i had more fun writing it and I think, I think I'm really excited about like about it being out there in the world. Which I I really love the first one as well, and I'm I'm really proud of it, and really like all the recipes in it. But I think the second one is a the book I really wanted to write. And it's out in October. It is second third of October. We'll have all of that information on the show notes and we'll direct people to your website. Yeah. Do you have any more questions, Karis? Look, I, I I do, but we're getting to the point where it might just be unrelated to actual food (laughs) yeah also we are heading for burgers we are gonna go and eat lunch so (laughs) no one can come between me and a squeezed burger (laughs) and it doesn't look like it's i mean it might rain again because it's it's that week in london um not london we're in bristol it's that week in england where it's just been crazy raining so it has been rubbish we're hoping we get to lunch before it pisses down again kate thank you so much you're welcome um karis we did it another wicked guest for the podcast we're uh we're, we haven't had a, a crap one yet so we're doing well um if you enjoyed listening to this you might like some of our other stories head over to at the source.com find us on spotify soundcloud itunes stitcher <laughs> we're everywhere and also follow us on twitter at the source that's it i think until next yeah. time until next time